0: Good morning. I love Father Ted, the 90s sitcom about a couple of hapless priests who are exiled to a Craggy Island off the coast of the Irish Republic. And in one episode Father Ted himself and some other priests have a bit of a crisis. They get lost in a department store and they end up accidentally in the women's lingerie department. That's not a good place for a bunch of priests to be found. Ted actually heroically leads them out of the lingerie department before they're discovered by any members of the public and as a result of his bravery, as they say, he earns the coveted Golden Cleric Award, much to the envy of his peers. An awards ceremony is organised for Ted to receive the the award in front of the great and the good of the Catholic world in Ireland and he gets the chance to give a speech in front of the watching crowd. And having faced some shame in his life, having been banished to Craggy Island for financial irregularities, he claims the money was just resting in his account, he finally has this moment in the sun, this moment where things have turned out well for him at last. He can claim finally that he is a great priest. And here's a chance maybe for some reflection, some words of gratitude and this humble acceptance of award. Well, far from it, actually. Ted blows his big moment in front of the crowd. He gives a three-hour speech, which he uses to settle old scores, to shame those who he feels have wronged him in his life. And, and, And he just bores the whole audience away. You know, success can do terrible things to people, can't it? We've been looking at a very successful man in our, our preaching series about King David. Uh, up to the point of Christmas, we've been applying some of the lessons that he, we've learned from David to our own lives. And we paused the series at a fascinating moment. We've been through the early days of David as this young shepherd boy anointed by God uh, and given the opportunity to be the, the future king of Israel. We saw him slay the giant Goliath and give all the glory to God. We saw his many years of difficulty waiting to be king uh, and serving and fighting under the the existing king Saul uh, and and all the difficulty of that This, this king of Israel Saul who had sinned against God and been told that his kingdom would pass on and Saul was just like father Ted actually he didn't do well with success and power he was overcome by jealousy and pride and he made several attempts to murder the young David he made his life a miserable danger while he lived Eventually we saw Saul die and we finally in those last few weeks before Christmas we saw David finally get to become the king that God had anointed him to be. We saw him establishing his throne in Jerusalem. We saw him bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city, worshipping passionately in the streets as he did so. And finally, in the last preach before Christmas, we saw David determined to build a temple to God in Jerusalem, but God to surprise him by saying, no, it's not going to be you. It's going to be one of your sons that gets to do this, but I'm making you an even greater promise. A permanent, future, amazing king will reign in your family line. And of course, we know that king to be Jesus. And so we pick up this series again, and we kind of find David at his Father Ted moment. After facing all these trials and battles and injustices, he's finally got it all. What will he do with his moments of triumph? How's he gonna treat the people around him? And most intriguingly, what about those people who treated him so badly earlier in his life? What about the remnants of King Saul's family? Well, today we're gonna to read the remarkable passage of scripture. We're gonna see how David interacts with a man who could have been king, a man named Mephibosheth. And I'll just say, you might want to pause the preach here. Go and get yourself a bowl of sweets. And every time I mispronounce the name Mephibosheth, you can treat yourself to a sweet. And I promise you, you're going to get a lot of sweets this morning. Let's read together uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 and the story of David and Mephibosheth. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zeba and they called him to David and the king said to him are you Zeba and he said I am your servant and the king said is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. Zeba said to the king there is still a son of Jonathan he is crippled in his feet. The king said to him Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Michiah, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Michiah, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, this, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your son and your servants shall till the land for him and bring in the produce for that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, And Mephibosheth had a young son, whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. So let's set the scene here. We've got David, this new king on his throne. He's been secure in that throne. In fact, in chapter eight, just before this, he's dealt with some of the external threats around and some of the powers that existed around Israel. He's won some key battles. He's weakened all the possible external threats to his throne. But there's still this lingering internal threat, the remnants of the house of the old king Saul. Imagine being part of King Saul's family at this time. Surely you would have some bitterness towards David. Your family had once been royalty. You might have been in line to the throne only to see it stripped away by God and transferred to this young guy David. You may want to be seizing back power And the accepted norm at this time for a king in David's position would be to snuff out that threat comprehensively. To seek out and destroy any last remnant of the previous king's family line. It would be a show of strength and it would be insurance against any future possible coup. And after how Saul treated David, you could understand David if he had a deep distrust of any remaining Saul family members. But in this short chapter, David takes a very different and surprising tactic. We see in these early verses, verse 1, verse 3, David is intent on displaying the kindness of God. He knows that God is the one who put him on the throne and he trusts him alone for his security. He doesn't need or want to settle old scores like Father Ted did when he won the Golden Cleric. He doesn't want to show off how great and deserving of praise he is. how awesome and wonderful his God is and he does this through Mephibosheth. He first finds Zeba, a member of Saul's household, and asks him, look, lead me to someone. Show me anyone who's left from Saul's family. And you can imagine Zeba's fear when he was summoned. He, he'd served Saul. He thought, the new king is summoning me. I'm for the chop here. But no, he gets tasked with this opportunity to go and find a family member. And he does it. He finds Mephibosheth. He tells David all about Mephibosheth. And this isn't actually the first time we meet Mephibosheth in Scripture. I'm doing quite well at pronouncing his name so far. We find him five chapters earlier in 2 Samuel 4. And we find that he is the son of Jonathan, who is the son of Saul. So he's Saul's grandson. Had the throne not been passed to David, Mephibosheth could have been the king. He would have been the next in line after Jonathan. And when Saul and Jonathan die in, in the end of 1 Samuel, Mephibosheth's nurse realises that she has to flee. She realises that the Philistines have just killed Saul and Jonathan and are going to come after anyone left in his household. So she picks up Mephibosheth and she runs off to safety. But unfortunately, tragically, she drops the five-year-old Mephibosheth, and he damages his legs so badly that he becomes lame for life. And so this is where David finds him in chapter 9. And he's alive. He, he's the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, but he's a cripple. And this enables David to do something remarkable. In 1 Samuel 13, we are told that David is a man after God's own heart. And in this passage, we see that beautifully revealed. We see David showing the heart of God to Mephibosheth in two amazing ways. The first way is this. In showing kindness to Mephibosheth, David displays God's heart as a promise keeper. David's actions here, they're not just random acts of kindness. They are fulfillments of a promise he made to Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. 1 Samuel tells the story of this unlikely but beautiful friendship between David and Jonathan, the son of the king who was trying to kill David. And it ended in 1 Samuel 20 with Jonathan helping David to escape. He should have been going to the new moon feast, but instead Jonathan advised him, get away, you need to flee because my father is still trying to kill you. And they parted in 1 Samuel 20 with these words, Jonathan saying to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever.'" This is a covenant of love and loyalty established between Jonathan and David. David and Jonathan promised friendship between each other and their descendants forever. And so when David promises to bless Mephibosheth, he is honouring that promise and covenant he made with his friend. Despite being part of Saul's family line and potentially being a threat to David's kingship, more important to David is that Mephibosheth is related to Jonathan. And even though he doesn't know anything about him, he promises and fulfills the promise made to him. David is a promise keeper, as is God. God is the ultimate promise keeper. The Bible contains hundreds of promises that God has made, which have either already been fulfilled or certainly are destined to be fulfilled by the God who is faithful and just. David's actions are not without cost either. He's taking a risk. As I say, Mephibosheth's not alone in the world. He has another son. He has this servant Zeba from Saul's household who's got loads of sons as well. It is possible that they, they could raise up some sort of coup against David. It's a risk for David to show them kindness, but it, and it costs him. It costs him materially as well. He gives Jonathan a whole heap of land. He gives him all the land that used to be Saul's. He passes it to Mephibosheth. Mish- 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 there you go, have a sweet. And he gives him all that land that it costs him. And he says, come and live in my palace. Come and be part of my family. It costs David materially to, to keep this promise. And it costs God to keep his promises to us. David is imitating the heart of God when he does this. It costs God to keep his promise to us of eternal life. It costs him his son. It costs him seeing his son dying on a cross and yet he keeps his promises to us. We can be reunited with God eternally because of the costly promise that God made to us and that he enacted through his son, Jesus, that dies a sacrifice for us. He received the punishment we deserve. It cost him everything to fulfil that promise. It cost David to fulfil his promise to Mishibosheth. It cost God, the ultimate promise keeper, to make his promise to us. But he does it for our benefit and his glory. So David displays God's heart as a promise keeper. But he also displays God's heart as a mercy shower and grace giver. We see God's heart to us through David in his actions to Mephibosheth. Remember, David, culturally, historically, he would have been expected to eradicate Mephibosheth and his household because of the threat they could cause to him. It's even like modern day practice. When you see a new prime minister come to power, what's the first thing they do? They get rid of all the allies to the previous prime minister off the cabinet and they bring in their own people. They don't want anyone in their cabinet who could be still loyal to the predecessor and they bring in their own people and surround themselves with allies. David might have wanted to do that. But when Mephibosheth arrives after he's summoned, he's expecting that. He humbly bows before the new king. He's expecting surely to be killed quickly. And he takes a low view of himself. This this grandson of a king says, I'm a dead dog. He feels he deserves nothing. He, He belongs to the royal family that actively tried to have David killed. And he's also a social outcast. He's been lame since young age, since that tragic accident. In no doubt, he's been rejected and spurned by the society that was not kind to those with physical disabilities. And yet, instead of receiving his expected fate of death, Mephibosheth is spared. He receives mercy and this mercy from David is totally in tune with the heart of God himself God is a powerful perfect holy king and judge his judgment of humanity can only be a guilty judgment because of our actions our sin our selfishness our greed our rebellion our lies our murder our lust all the rest of it when we come to stand before God as our judge and we will we should only expect him to judge us as guilty and to experience the consequences of that death and eternal separation from him and yet through Jesus that's not what we receive rather than punishment and death God shows mercy to those who put their faith in his son because of the sacrifice of Jesus we are made righteous we are justified the guilty become innocent because God looks at the record of Jesus and credits it to us Ephesians 2, 4, 5 says this about God's mercy. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. David shows this great mercy to Mephibosheth despite his family's guilt and shame. And it is a beautiful picture of the heart of God and how he does the same to us in our guilt and shame. But his kindness doesn't stop there. Mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve. Mephibosheth deserved death and didn't get it. We as sinners deserve guilty judgment from God, but we don't get it. But David's heart for Mephibosheth and God's heart for us goes beyond simply sparing us from what we don't deserve. That's mercy. He actually also gives us vastly more than we do deserve he gives us what we don't deserve he gives us grace that's what Mephibosheth receives here that's what we receive from God it would have been remarkable enough for David just to say to Mephibosheth Mephibosheth have a sweet Mephibosheth look I'm not gonna kill you now on your way but it does so much more he said he restores Mephibosheth All the land and possession that once belonged to King Saul, he says, it's yours, have it. And he also says, you've always got a place at my table. Come and live in my palace as a son of mine. Come and live as part of my family. And he even provides for Ziba, Saul's servant as well. This is blessing way beyond merit. David is the king. Everything that was once Saul's is now rightfully his. And yet in an act of pure grace, he says to this undeserving remnant of Saul's family, here, what was once Saul's? It's yours. Enjoy it. And while you're at it, live in my palace. Be part of my family. And again, this beautifully shows the heart of God to us. It's amazing enough that in God's judgment, he acquits us of our sin because of the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus. But he goes way beyond that. Not only do we escape what we do deserve, we gain what we don't deserve. We get as well as innocence, we get heir. we become heirs of the kingdom. We get eternal life where we go from deserved death to living the most amazing, abundant, eternal life possible. Completely undeserved because of nothing that we have done to earn or deserve it. That is God's heart for us, displayed in this story beautifully by David towards Mephibosheth. It's unbelievable. It's brilliant. Look, what we really need to grasp from this passage is this. It's really important we understand it and why it's here. God expresses his heart through David because he wants to demonstrate his heart to us. Like Mephibosheth, we are undeserving of grace and mercy. And yet because God is a promise keeper and he's a God of love, we get both and then some. But it's really key to understand and see something in how Mephibosheth responds to David's kindness. Mephibosheth goes on to live in the good of David's blessing but in his initial response he says something which I think we really need to pay attention to he says what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me he's not used to being shown love and favor and blessing he can't fathom why David values him as worthy of blessing and I wonder if we ever think of ourselves like this when we hear of God's grace and mercy to us we may have a Mephibosheth response how could he love me of all people I'm, I'm a nobody i'm a dead dog and on the surface that feels like a humble gracious holy response you know we're actually but actually when we think that way we actually undermine what god says about what he created we are his creation we are made in his image he planned us and he declared us as good now as fallen sinful humans we do need to know that we've been separated by god and we face his judgment but it's because of the actions in our lives that which fall short of his perfect standards but they don't change who we are to him he designed us he knit us together in our mother's wounds he knows us and loves us intimately every single one of us you see we're never cut off from god because of who we are we're not dead dogs we're not worthless nobodies it's what we've done that separates us from god not who we are And God's heart towards us revealed in this story and throughout scripture is never to see us that way. He never sees us as dead dogs, but he sees us as precious sons and daughters for whom he is willing to make a costly sacrifice to win us back. David didn't see Mephibosheth as a dead dog, but as a member of Jonathan's family who was worthy of blessing, despite any sins that he or his family might have committed against him. God, too, cares more about who we are than what we have done or even what we're yet to do. And he offers us grace and mercy as a result. He wants to, re- I want to really make sure that we've got that, this one. If you're a Christian, you need to not have this, woe is me, I'm a miserable nobody mentality, but know that you were created and loved by the God who sent his own son to die for us so that you get to dwell in his house forever. We need to know that frankly, we are who God says we are. We're going to sing that song later. If we're Christians, the Bible tells us that we are sons and heirs, robed in royal robes, hidden with Christ in God, members of his family. Enough of the dead dogging. Be transformed by the revelation of your identity in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you've been counting yourself out. Maybe you've been believing that a God like Him couldn't possibly love a mess like you. And you just need to know how much He adores you, that He made you, and He longs for you to know who you are in Him so that He can pour out His blessing and His kindness on you, just like David did from Mephibosheth. If you take nothing else away from this morning, please just know God's heart for us, shown in David's heart from Mephibosheth. He doesn't see people as dead dogs. He cherishes each and every one of us. And he wants all of those people who he created, all of us, to experience his mercy and grace, to experience being part of his family. To know that the things that we've done which separate us from him, he can forgive us for and bring us back into his family. We, get, we can get to live in his palace as sons and daughters of the King forever. That's who you are. You're who God says you are. It's time to live in the good of that. And I want to I wanna leave us this morning with just a final challenge. It's all lovely hearing all of this, isn't it? But does actually leave us with a big challenge. Certainly something I felt challenged by this week as I've prepared this and prayed through it. Because I think we can fairly easily see our roles in this passage as mephibosheths, as the ones to whom mercy and grace are shown. But for those of us who have accepted God's mercy and grace and have put our trust in Jesus as Lord, we also have a David role in this story. Remember Father Ted way back at the start of this preach, in his moment of triumph, having received the blessing and glory of this Golden Cleric Award, he had an opportunity. What would he do with this blessing? Well, he settled scores. He wallowed in his victory and he used his platform to point at the sins of other people in his life. He just used it to expose shame and to gloat of his own excellence as a great priest. David does the opposite. He realises the grace and the blessing that he has been shown in his life. He understands what that means and he realises that where he is where he is only because of the goodness of God. And he understands how it feels to be loved and blessed by God so much that he wants as many other people as possible to experience and know that blessing in their lives. You see, there's a flip side to understanding and accepting and knowing that we're not dead dogs and that we're loved creations of, God's, of God that he sacrifices some for. And that is that everyone else is too. God loves and values all the other people around us around you and he longs to have a relationship with them just as he does with you even the people who have hurt you even the people who have let us down even the people who have betrayed us even the people that as you've watched the news this week and whose worldview and whose politics you could not disagree with more even those people are children of God they're people who God has created and longs to have a relationship with and to whom he wants us to show blessing and mercy and grace, just as David does some of Iphibosheth. You and I, as blessed recipients of God's awesome grace and mercy, what will we do with it? Will we be Father Ted's? Will we be puffed up by our own blessing and privilege and point to everyone else's mistakes? Or will we be David's, so bowled over by the grace and mercy of God in our lives that we're just so desperate to share it and show it to other people so that they get to live in the goodness of it too? It's a challenging question, isn't it? But it's one for us to really think about and to pray about and I think to act on, I believe. In this increasingly ever more fractured and hostile society, what will we do with the blessing and grace that God has poured out on us? The Bible is so clear in this, I believe, that as he has poured it out on us, he wants us to pour it out to others so that more may be saved and come to know him. Let's try and do that. Let's let's be people who pour out the grace and mercy of God onto others so that as many people as possible come to know him. Let me just pray for us. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that you don't see us as dead dogs. You don't see us as worthless. You don't see us as in, uh, unworthy of love, Lord. You see us as your children, as your creation. And because of that, Lord, be, despite our sin, despite the things that we have done, you pour out your love and your grace and your mercy on us and you give us the opportunity to dwell with you forever. I thank you for that Lord. I, th- I pray for anyone who doesn't know that this morning or will they, will they hear that this morning and hear that actually there is the opportunity to repent of sin, to repent of the wrong things we've done and step into that, that identity as your children to know you forever. And I pray for us who've already made that choice Lord, I pray that you will help us to live it out Lord and to share it with others Lord, to show blessing to show mercy and grace and kindness to everyone around so that they will know the goodness and the kindness of God in their lives just as Mephibosheth did as a result of David's actions. Will you help us with that this week and beyond I pray in your mighty name Lord God. Amen.